All right, y'all, let's bring it in. Episode 23 of the Read Option coming at you here on a beautiful Tuesday afternoon. Uh, got a great show lined up for you guys today. Got some guests in the work, unfortunately, with some scheduling stuff. Uh, our man Scotty just bought a house. And our man Vito, as we know, is helping add to that beautiful skyline out in Cleveland. So uh, it's been a little tough to get all the guys together on a regular basis, but we're hoping as, you know, summer comes around, things settle down a little bit, uh, we'll be able to get a more consistent schedule. But that doesn't mean we're not going to have fun. We're going to have a great show today. And uh, before we get into some of the sports stuff, you know, I had had one of those moments this weekend. You know, friends of mine were having a, uh, a house moving out party. Uh, it's a group of, you know, five five girls that me and a couple of my buddies are friends with. And they had a little, you know, kind of going away party for their one friend, Andy. And uh, they were kind enough to invite us all over. And, and you know, with, with COVID and, you know, and everything over the last year plus, you know, there hasn't been a whole lot of social gatherings. There hasn't been a whole lot of, you know, day drinks. There's been a whole lot of, you know, drinking games or honestly anything like that. And it was kind of bizarre, you know, being in a place where everyone there was at least halfway through vaccinated and, and the majority of which had had two shots. So it, it felt safe. It felt kind of normal. Um, but one thing that was not normal was was your boy's ability to uh, to hang in some some drinking games. I mean, I wasn't, you know, over the top, like crazy hammered or like couldn't hold my alcohol or anything like that. But it was just I haven't played drinking games in so long. And it's one of those moments where, you know, each year that passes, you just remind yourself, man, I'm just like getting further and further out of college and which is objectively a good thing. You know, like the further out of school you get, you know, the more you should be focused on your career or podcasts or, you know, relationships and, and your friends and all that kind of stuff. And the less time you, you worry about being good at slap cup or beer die though beer die was the official uh drinking game for us there on the jmu club baseball team yeah that's a real flex but uh anyway it was a, it was a fun weekend got a chance to catch up with a with an old friend as well and that was uh very very lovely and and now we're here we are in the week we're two days in we also had the nfl draft wrap up uh and we're definitely going to get into some of that now that the draft is in the books we start to really start to feel out like what these rosters are going to look like. There's still some free agents kind of hanging around there in uh, the NFL world. We're going to talk a little bit of college football on the pod today for the first time, really, since we've been kind of doing it. Because when we when we launched the pod, college football was over. And so for anyone that knows me and knows my background, you know, I produce radio for ESPNU Radio. You know, for us, that that is that is the world that I live in on a day in and day out basis. And now that the spring season has really started to wrap up, there's one or two games left coming up this upcoming weekend. But for the most part, we're done with spring ball and we're just going to start getting into this preseason. You know, a little bit of I say it every time, but a little bit of the dog days of summer. Um, but no, we're, we're going to get into some fun, some little bit too early top 25 rankings here when it comes to the college football season. But we're going to start with a little bit of NBA basketball. And I'm not sure how many people out there are too locked into the Washington Wizards right now, unless you're a really big NBA fan. But they have a guy on their team, most people would recognize if you follow sports, Russell Westbrook. And Russell Westbrook is in the middle of a crazy, crazy run, as are the Washington Wizards, by the way. I mean, uh, Washington Wizards have won 13 out of their last 16 games, dating back to April 7th, 
All right. So the Wiz, who started off on a really, really slow start, you know, they had some issues with injuries. They had a really big COVID pause, the worst that I think any team has really had to have uh, in the league, which is actually kind of helping them now that they seem to be clicking. They seem to be kind of having uh, they're gelling in a really good way. Some of their just overall numbers since April 7th, they're fourth in offensive rating, eighth in defensive rating and, and third in net rating. So this is a team that, you know, compare that to before April 7th. They were 25th in the NBA in offensive rating, 26th in defensive rating, and 25th with a minus 5.1 of their overall net rating. This is a team that's really starting to look like, man, maybe they can, you know, make some noise in the first round. You know, they're one of the play-in teams as it stands currently, as the standings currently exist, which can change here. We still have about seven or eight games before we hit the play-in tournament, which I'm pretty excited about it. Seems to be some mixed feelings about it. I know LeBron came out this week. And of course, now LeBron is super anti-playing tournament because the Lakers are going to start potentially, you know, depending on how that, that battle with Dallas goes, the Lakers could end up as the seventh seed and having to win a game in order to get into the playoffs, which, you know, for LeBron, he re-aggravated that ankle injury, so I'm sure he's sweating it a little bit. But even if they are in a playing game and LeBron's healthy, I still think the Lakers are going to win. But, you know, if LeBron gets banged up or for whatever reason can't go that night or someone's sick or there's a COVID protocol that gets breached and Anthony Davis or LeBron or even Kuzma is out, that can spell some trouble there for the Lakers. But I digress because this segment is about Russell Westbrook because Russell Re- Russell Westbrook is one of the most polarizing NBA players that we've ever had, uh, especially when you consider the soup at the superstar level. You know, we're talking about guys who a guy who has won an MVP a guy who has played in the NBA finals has averaged a triple double. As we all know, we all love to talk about when it comes to Russell Westbrook and even last night, Russell Westbrook dropped one of the craziest stat lines I've ever seen. He had 14 points, 21 rebounds and 24 assists. He was the first player in NBA history to have multiple games with 20 plus rebounds and 20 plus assists. The only other player who had ever gotten there once was Wilt Chamberlain. All right. So we know that Russell can fill up a stat sheet, right? And one of the really interesting things about this run that Russell Westbrook's on is that he's making his teammates a whole hell of a lot better, right? He is, dishing out the ball at an exceptional weight rate and giving his teammates really for just find really great looks, right? As a team, they're shooting about 53% from effective field goal rating, right? Which is a more accurate determination based off of where guys shoot from rather than just pure field goal percentage, right? So if you put up a half court shot, that's not going to hurt your effective field goal rating, Uh, or field goal percentage as much as, you know, a wide open three in the corner that you miss. So Russell Westbrook, or as a team, the Washington Wizards are shooting about 53% from effective field goal percentage, right? From passes given by Russell Westbrook, that number jumps all the way up to almost 58%, which would put them in the top three in the entire NBA in effective field goal percentage which again means that Russell Westbrook, when he's the one passing the ball, is creating exceptionally good looks for his teammates and allowing other guys to shoot the ball at an an incredibly efficient rate. The problem is, while he is 
as efficient of a passer as he's ever been in his entire career, he himself as a scorer might be as inefficient as we've ever seen him. And he might actually be one of the most inefficient players from a scoring perspective as we've ever seen in the NBA, particularly this season. He took right now he's top 15 in the NBA in jump shots taken, right? So in order to qualify for this, top 15 it's basically over 600 jump shots he does not shoot higher than 37 percent i'm looking at his shot chart right now he does not shoot higher from 37 percent from anywhere on the court that is 10 feet or more away from the rim his effective field goal percentage again shooting 600 jump shots is at 40.7 percent and the thing with effective field goal percentage is that it normally tells, it usually bumps it up a little bit compared to what your baseline is. But if you're taking extremely inefficient looks and flat out just missing a lot of jump shots, it will tank it even further. So your your benchmark, right? Like batting 300, your Mendoza line is about 50%. You want to be able to shoot 50% from the floor. That means that you are an above average player. Effective field goal percentage, you want to be closer to that like 55%. Russell Westbrook, again, is at 40.7%, which is by far the worst in the league and ranks last out of any player who's taken 600 jump shots or more. He's essentially robbing Peter to pay Paul, right? He's setting up all of his teammates in these incredible ways, you know, driving hard to the rim and kicking out and next to pass a hockey assist, right? He's helping guys get unbelievable looks but he's mitigating all of that by shooting it as inefficient as he's ever done it before he's counteracting all of the brilliant playmaking and creation he provides for everyone else on the wizards by taking so many just blatantly terrible jump shots and the thing is is this is kind of a microcosm for his entire career right when i say he's polarizing russell westbrook's been in the league since 2008 all right, Russell Westbrook's been around for a long time. His ath- insane athleticism and the gaudy numbers he puts up, they're all mitigated by the lack of self-awareness that he has when it comes to his desire to be the quote-unquote guy. You know, he he's an unbelievable competitor, right? He's on the level of some of the greatest we've ever seen do it when it comes to just flat-out fighting. No one puts in more effort night in and night out than Russell Westbrook. The dude works his ass off. There's no question about it. And I've always, always admired that about Russ. I I legitimately do. I admire Russell Westbrook. His demeanor, you know, he's got that dog in him that we all love, that people gravitate towards. That's why so many people defend him so ferociously when we're talking about, oh, what he averaged a triple-double for three straight seasons. Are you kidding me? How can you not like, how can you say Russell Westbrook's not a good player? You know, and, and I don't think that Russell Westbrook's a bad NBA player. I think he's a really, really great NBA player. But that same attitude and the unrivaled competitiveness is why in his current state, his current mindset, he'll never win a title. He never will win a title. Now, you guys know I, I'm a producer, right? I work in sports radio. I produce really, really talented hosts, people who are unbelievable on air. 
people who have insane personalities, people who have accomplished a ton, some people who are much more mellow, right? You know, we have a show, it's called Full Ride, where the host, Chris Childers, is an insane person. <laughs> He's hilarious and wild, and he makes inappropriate jokes, and that's what makes him so great on air. And his co-host, Rick Neuheisel, who is a college football hall of famer, one of the, one of the best PAC 12 coaches we've had over the last 30 years, worked in the NFL front office for a long time. He's older. He's got a little more, he's from California. He's a Cali kid. He's just kind of, he's cool. You know, he's just got this cool, calm, collect older California guy. And the way they balance out, especially, you know, Rick has this really like low monotone, you know, kind of just low speaking, quiet boy. Oh, Chris, the pony, you know, to call him, they call Chris the show pony. Meanwhile, you have Chris Childers, he's always around, he's always talking up here really fast. But I remember reading a book where there was an entire chapter based around the idea that basically the same thing that's going to make your host amazing on air is the thing that's going to make him super hard to work with. You know, and again, I love Rick and Chris, but when you have to rein in Chris sometimes, like you have to know that, like you have to know that the same thing that makes somebody amazing at what they do can also become a detriment if you, if you're not careful enough, you know, you have to have the self-awareness to balance the two where you have to feed into the thing that makes you great, but don't feed into it so much that it negatively impacts the overall experience. Because if if Chris, in this example, was just going ape shit all the time, you would never be able to like actually have a coherent radio show. And that's how I look at Russell Westbrook. You know, Russell Westbrook has this unbelievable competitiveness. He's insanely athletic. Like one of the greatest just pound for pound athletes the NBA has ever seen his hustle, his determination, all the stuff that we like about Russell Westbrook. The problem is, is when he gets to the playoffs, when it gets down to the last shot, when it was him in OKC and it was him versus Kevin Durant and there were all these struggles about who's going to have the ball at the end of the game, Russell Westbrook always wanted the ball. He always wanted the ball at the end of the games. But anyone who's watched basketball over the last 10 to 15 years know that you should give the ball to Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant's arguably the greatest offensive player that we've really ever seen in the NBA, at least one of. You don't see guys who are seven feet tall who have his handle and his range and his pull-up ability and his ability to get by you on top of also being a great defender. And we saw in that OKC Golden State or the uh, Golden State and Cleveland series when Kevin Durant just pulled up from deep three, like 35 feet, and just banged the game winner in I think it was a like game six or game five, just straight in LeBron James's face, just flat out right in his face. Russell Westbrook, you're awesome. You're not Kevin Durant. And that always killed those Oklahoma City Thunder teams when they blew the 3-1 lead. Kevin Durant didn't play well in those games, but neither, neither did Russell Westbrook. All you have to do is look at Russell Westbrook's career playoff numbers, right? And, and particularly from three, because – there's something about the modern NBA where guys don't want to take it all the way to the rack. They, you know, Russell Westbrook gets away from what makes him special, and he wants to shoot a lot of threes. His career three-point shooting in the playoffs, 29% from three on five attempts per game. And if you really want to have your mind blown, blown look at the year that he won the MVP, 2016-2017. He shot. Nearly 10 threes a game. I think it was 9.6 threes a game. 
and he shot 26%. That is horribly inefficient. That is, I'm the man. This is my team. I'm the MVP. I averaged the triple-double. I'm taking as many threes as I want to take. And yeah, Oklahoma City wasn't that great that year. And yes, Russell Westbrook was the driving force of that team. But he's not using his skill set in the most efficient way possible that would translate to them potentially winning. And people will continue to defend Russ to death, and I genuinely understand that. His statistics will make him a first ballot Hall of Famer, besides the fact that, you know, everybody gets into the NBA Hall of Fame. Everyone gets into the Basketball Hall of Fame. But Russell Westbrook, is a no-doubt Hall of Famer, even if it was hard to get in because of the statistics alone. But when it comes to talking about him as one of the truly elite players, especially over his career and his contemporaries, do not be fooled by the numbers because 15, 20, 30 years from now, we're going to look back and be like, Russell Westbrook had multiple games with 20 rebounds and 20 assists? Oh, my God. Was he the greatest basketball player ever? No, don't get fooled by the unbelievable box score. Because everything that Russell Westbrook does on a basketball court is impressive. His speed, his strength, his, his athleticism, his drive, determination, competitiveness. I can go on and on and on. But the problem is, no matter how impressive those things are, no matter how impressive the box score is at the end of the day, what he does on a basketball court will never, ever translate to winning in the playoffs. It just won't. It just won't. So continue to defend the brilliance and appreciate what he is. But don't get it confused. Russell Westbrook's not a winning basketball player. He's an amazing basketball player but he's not a winning basketball player. And there is a difference. Transitioning now to the NFL draft, which look, I mean, the thing with the NFL draft that's always funny with me is that we get so excited for the first round. We get so excited. And then that second day, like really big college football fans who want to see where their guys go and really big NFL fans will, will, will tune in on a Friday night, but it's a Friday night, right? So like in non-COVID times, most people are out doing something or seeing people or, you know, having dinner and maybe it's on in the background. And then you get to Saturday and you're really just not all that locked into it. You know, I remember a couple of years where the draft fell on Easter and, you know, or maybe it wasn't Easter, maybe it was Mother's Day. I, I, I to be honest, I couldn't tell you, but I remember having family gatherings and rounds like four through seven were going on. And it's just, it's so hard for people to stay locked in because all of the big names in college football are gone. And now, especially with our phones and our ability to just track the draft live, there's really no reason to stay super locked in because most people just want to see who their team takes, go watch a highlight film, be like, oh my God, we just got to steal in the fifth and sixth round. You know, like that's, that's how most people do it. But it always makes me laugh because it's such a clear, you know, step-by-step downgrade from what it starts at, which is like the first round, which is as hyped up of an event as we have. And then by the time it ends, it's like people like, oh, yeah, shit, I forgot. The last part of the, the draft was on today. Um, that being said, 
there's an amazing statistic out there. Uh, and this is courtesy of our man Field Yates, who I reference a lot on this podcast. Uh, but 66% of all NFL players currently on a roster were drafted in rounds four through seven, which, you know, some people would say to me, okay, but like Jeff, like that just makes sense, right? Four through seven, that's a little less than two thirds of the draft. But to my response, I'd say, yeah, the first rounders are the ones that all are supposed to hit. They're all supposed to be good players. But it doesn't work out that way. And there's something about getting the chip on your shoulder. You know, I was supposed to be a second round draft pick and I fell all the way down to the sixth round. That changes the makeups. You know, it goes back to the old Colin Coward, you know, analytics versus manalytics. And that's to me, my viewpoint in, in that. And that's a podcast I'm planning on doing. And there'll probably be one that we do over the summer. But the whole idea of combining like you need numbers. You, you have to have numbers and analytics in modern sports. I just watched Moneyball the other night. You have to. But you also need guys who are going to be able to come up in the human moments of sports. Because at the end of the day, even though we can have all the statistics in the world, and baseball is a great example of this, you can go up there in the bottom of the ninth in game seven of the World Series, and is your guy going to be able to get the guy from second home? You know, is your guy going to be able to hit even an opposite field ground ball to move the guy to third base or to, you know, all of those small things really do start to matter where the bulk statistics don't come as much into play. Very similar to the NBA, the NBA, the Houston Rockets, James Harden, all those guys. So uh, I, I do believe that because that, I mean, that's the thing with the Houston Rockets, right? The Houston Rockets were an amazing team in the regular season by doing nothing but shooting threes and getting to the free throw line. But then what happens when you show up cold one night in, in game seven against the Golden State Warriors? James Harden has a really, really bad shooting night and you lose because James Harden is, in fact, a human and not a robot who is going to guarantee to shoot the same percentage. Those numbers are spread out over the course of an entire season. So it's the analytics versus the goofy, I know, but manalytics. And uh, that's something that you see a lot here, whereas like the numbers would tell us if you're talented enough to be a first or second round draft pick, there should be far more first and second round draft picks who have long standing NFL careers, but it kind of evens out to the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round guys. That's where, you know, drafts are won and lost. That's where teams and championships are, are set up. We all look to obsess over the first round, the second round, and honestly a little bit in the third round too. But by then, once you start getting to the third round, like those are the big difference makers who you're bringing in and, and who is, you know, can you get certain value? And there were a lot of undrafted free agents here, and we're going to get into some of them on Thursday's pod. But for today, we're going to focus on just a little bit of gra draft grades. And I'm not going to go through every single team because that would just take way, way too much time. We saw how long it took me to just go through round one on Friday's pod. But for this, I'm just going to give you my three favorite, my three least favorite. And there's a few other, I think, that are sneaky, kind of like in between, but I think have I think teams that found really really good late round value uh, that that honestly might come in and, and make an impact right away. So my number one favorite draft this year, and I said this on air even after the first two rounds on Saturday on ESPNU, the Los Angeles Chargers. The Chargers had what I thought, and I said this on Friday's pod, my favorite first round draft pick, and the way that they played that first round was so smart because everyone thought if they're going to get Rashawn Slater, the tackle out of Northwestern, they're going to have to trade up. There's no way Rashawn Slater is going to be there at 13. And wouldn't you know, 
they stayed pat. Like I said, they played it cool, had a dart hanging out of their mouth, looking like the Fonz, and Rashawn Slater fell in their lap, which was an awesome pick and an immediate need. And you're protecting your, you know, your, your quarterback. We all saw how awesome Justin Herbert was last year. And their offensive line was okay. It wasn't great, but it was okay. And so now you're talking about, all right, now they have a legitimate, like, potential 10-year vet at left tackle to protect Justin Herbert. I thought it was an absolute steal. But the further down you go, the more I really, really start to love what these guys did out in L.A., all right? Asante Samuel Jr., I cannot believe he fell as late as he did. Uh, you know, we talk about – everyone talks about the pedigree with Pat Sertan and J.C. Horn. You know, their dad's played in the NFL. Asante Samuel Jr.'s dad was one of the best cornerbacks for a long time during his stretch in the NFL. Asante Samuel was a stud. I loved that pick. Getting him out of Florida State I thought was an absolute steal. And, again, a guy who's going to come in right away and play. And what I love about Asante Samuel Jr. is – He's a much better tackler, and he's much more aggressive when it comes to going up and, and being willing to get physical than his dad was. The thing about Asante Samuel that drove me nuts was that he would try to lay out guys by basically turning himself into a missile. He would lay out horizontally, diving at whoever it was, try to put his shoulder into him, never wrap, never use his hands, never use his arms. Asante Samuel Jr. is better at that than his dad, but he has a lot of the same characteristics. You know, he's really good at jumping the quarterback. That was the thing Asante Samuel did better than anybody was reading the quarterback's eyes and jumping their route. So I thought that was an excellent pick. A little bit down the line, you look at Josh Palmer, wide receiver out of Tennessee. He was one of the more underrated uh, wide receivers in this year's class. And we talked about all the depth that was at wide receiver this year. Josh Palmer Averaged 21 yards per catch in his sophomore season at Tennessee. Now, Tennessee was a bit of a dumpster fire since then. And I think that's part of why his draft stock had dropped so much. If he played at Oklahoma, if he played at Alabama, if he played at Clemson, I think Josh Palmer probably would have ended up being a top two round wide receiver. But you can get, and this is what I've said, I said it before, you can get so much value later in the rounds, especially at the wide receiver position, not dissimilar to the running back position. Continuing down, Trey McKitty, tight end out of Georgia, more of a blocking tight end, uh, but, you know, they lost Hunter Henry this year. And if you get a Brent Selleck-type tight end, a Jason Witten-type type tight end, who's going to be able to help block, um, but at the same time will help you in the passing game on play action, you know, you don't look at him as a massive threat necessarily he's a good athlete he's got great size uh, I thought that was a great pick uh, even though again he wasn't used all that much as a wide receiver while he was at Georgia uh, Chris Rump was one of my favorite outside linebacker prospects in the later rounds getting him in the fourth round there was a lot of wonky stuff going on you know like Jarrett Patterson going undrafted there's a lot of players who went undrafted that were surprising uh, Larry Roundtree running back out of Missouri right Sixth round draft pick, but we've seen six round running backs come in and, and make an impact. And I think what we're going to see out in LA, especially with Austin Eckler, you know, Austin Eckler is not necessarily three down back. They're going to use him a lot. You know, I'm curious to see what happens with that offense now that Brandon Staley is running it instead of Anthony Lynn. And Brandon Staley is a defensive minded coach. Uh, but I, I really like that they invested a lot on offense. They also got another tackle, Brendan James, out of uh, Nebraska. 
And they, they finish up with, again, high pedigree guys, right? Mark Webb, safety out of Georgia, I thought was a really great later round draft pick. So all in all, it was my favorite draft uh, of anybody. I thought it was just, it just made sense. You know, you're talking about a team that has some, ta- has a bunch of talent all over the field, particularly at wide receiver, you know, Keenan Allen's a stud, but it was built in the mindset of how are we going to a, you know, if, if Asante Samuel Jr. can come in and be an amazing corner right off the bat, which is asking a lot, but he has the skill sets to be able to do that, to translate directly into the NFL, then I really, really love this draft pick because so much of what made Brandon Staley's defense so good with the Rams last year was having Jalen Ramsey on the outside. So if Asante Samuel, another Florida State cornerback, just like Jalen Ramsey, can maybe, you know, soak in some of that, you know, Jalen Ramsey and Deion Sanders vibes from Florida State days. Uh, I would I would love to see uh, how this all works together, but it was just built around a team that is young with a young quarterback, but has some good pieces that will help them be able to win right away. Uh, the next team I have on my list is the New York Jets. Um, interesting little side note here with the New York Jets. They drafted not just one, but two Michael Carters. <laughs> Michael Carter, the running back out of North Carolina, and Michael Carter, the safety out of Duke. Now, Michael Carter, the running back, I love. And he's going to be a great little – and the thing is, is he was viewed as more of the you know receiving back out of North Carolina, but he wasn't just that. Javante Williams was your guy who's, you know, I, I think the better of the two prospects. But Michael Carter's not that far off. And it's something we do when we're comparing guys. Well, if you like Javante Williams that much more, then that must mean that Michael Carter isn't as good. And I think when you're evaluating two really good running backs in the same backfield, whichever one isn't the one that most teams prefer is just therefore going to slide down in our minds. Uh, but it all starts at the top of this draft, right? Zach Wilson and then trading up to get Elijah Vera Tucker. That left side of the line, Zach Wilson's blind side is going to be protected. Makai Becton, Elijah Vera Tucker, that's going to be a really fun left side. And again, you could be potentially protecting Zach Wilson, who's going to need it based off of his size uh, for a very long time. And if you're able to get seven to 10 years out of those two guys, then you're going to help set up Zach Wilson to be as successful as possible. Now, of course, this draft will be in the long term graded because but and let me I'll, I'll say this real quick, too. Bill Simmons always has this awesome thing about the Oscars. You know, when he judges the Oscars every year when they come up, they do a podcast where they review the Oscars from five years ago. You know, they instead of worrying about, oh, who won best picture this year, they let it breathe for five years. So they always do from the, the five years beforehand and they regrade, you know, did the right person win? Did the right person win best actor, best actress, best director? Did best picture age the best? What will ultimately decide whether or not this draft ages the best is whether or not Zach Wilson was the right guy at quarterback. You know, if Trey Lance goes out to have an amazing career in San Francisco, this draft will not be one of the highest graded drafts. I can, I can promise you, but on paper, just looking at the guys that they took Zach Wilson, Elijah Vera Tucker, Elijah Moore, the wide receiver out of Ole Miss, that dude should have been a first-round draft pick. Now, he was taken 34th, so he was only two picks away from being a first-round draft pick. But you talk about elite-level talent. You know, the Ole Miss brings in wide receivers as good as anybody. That Lane Kiffin offense at Ole Miss puts up points. Matt Corral, 
we'll get to Ole Miss a little bit later, sneak preview when we talk about the you know top 25 teams here. Elijah Moore was a stud. Of course, he will live in infamy for the famous dog peeing penalty that he got that ultimately lost them the egg bowl against Mississippi state a couple of years ago, which is one of the most bizarre and most college football things that you'll ever see. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go look it up. Like right now, pause the podcast. We will wait. We'll be here when you get back. It is freaking hilarious. Uh, but even just continuing down the list here from some of these other guys, I love their first four picks. Wilson, Bear Tucker, Moore, and Michael Carter. You're getting an offensive guard to help sure up the offensive line, knowing that you have Mackay Becton there on the left side. And then you have two really good skill position guys. You know, I don't know what to make of Corey Davis. I don't know how good Corey Davis is going to be. I, we've seen Corey Davis be awesome in the NFL. And I hope that he and Zach Wilson develop great chemistry together. Elijah Moore with Corey Davis and Jamison Crowder in the slot could be a pretty, as far as just talent on paper, could be a really dangerous wide receiving core. In that backfield, they have Tevin Coleman, who, you know, has been bothered with injuries for a long time. So you have to be a little hesitant there, and I totally get that. But Michael Carter in a split backfield I think could be a lot of fun. And then later in the draft, Jamie and Sherwood, uh, one of the more underrated safeties out of Auburn, but they drafted three safeties here. And that was kind of the one gripe, I guess, quote unquote, that I had. But with this, you know, with Robert Salah, Salah, I, I, Robert Salah, um, you want to trust him. All right, Jets fans, trust that he knows his defensive players. And if he needs to throw a bunch of shit on the board and see what sticks, and I'm going to get two cornerbacks and three safeties in the fifth round and on, he's about as good as anybody I would trust to do that because the way that he elevated an aging Richard Sherman, who a lot of people thought was more or less out of the league, to being back to one of the more statistically impressive cornerbacks in the NFL, like he can do a lot with that secondary and the way he's going to scheme it up. So have faith. Um, you know, I like the safeties that the Jets have, so I felt like they kind of reached a little bit, but you have Joe Douglas and Robert Salah, Salah there making, I think, just a lot of really great picks. And the last one I, I would throw here, too, is uh, Hamsa. I'm always going to screw up his last name, but Nazaruldin, Nazaruldin, um, special team guy early. Uh, you know, again, a lot of these safeties in order to really make – and F, you get a chance to to play for if you're a later on guy, you have to grind it out on special teams. And that's where you're going to see if some of these guys have the dog. You know, a lot of really, really great safeties in NFL history started off as guys who were, you know, special teamers, guys who were late round draft picks. You know, you don't have to be an elite level draft pick at the safety position. You just need to have you have to be smart to play the position but you also have to be a, a really solid athlete and you have to be willing to play bigger than you are you know I, you can look at guys like malcolm jenkins you know uh, you see a lot of second third fourth round safeties going to have great great careers uh the last team on my favorite list and i promise this is not a homer pick all right i went through looking at each each draft like like looking at each team the Philadelphia Eagles had a really, really great draft. And I was not stoked with the Friday night selections at first. Landon Dickerson could be an awesome, awesome pick. 
for the Eagles in the second round. All right. He would have been an absolute first round talent. Two ACL injuries and ankle injuries throughout his career are concerning. No question about it. But what I like about it is that the Eagles offensive line is already in pretty good shape. They're older, but they're in pretty good shape. So there isn't necessarily a rush to say we need Landon Dickerson to come in and play immediately. That affords you the opportunity to let him get healthy. So obviously it all starts at number 10. You know, fleecing the New York Giants the way that they did to get Devontae Smith was an awesome draft pick. That kid is special. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care about the weight. He is special. He's Marvin Harrison 2.0. He's electric, and he's exactly what the Eagles need. He has history with Jalen Hurts, as does Landon Dickerson. The third-round draft pick was the one that I really got bothered by until I started doing more and more research on this kid. Milton Williams, defensive tackle out of Louisiana Tech. He, draft, he rated in the 99.9th percentile in almost every single physical metric that you possibly can uh, in everything from the bench press and all that. And look, you're going to say, Jeff, you're being hypocritical. You always say that stuff doesn't necessarily matter. It doesn't matter for quarterbacks. All right. It doesn't matter for everybody. You can't put too much weight into it. So you have to make sure that the tape backs it up and Louisiana tech. Look, they don't play an extremely difficult schedule. They just don't. So, you might say, all right, well, just because he's bodying dudes all over the place at Louisiana Tech doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to translate and become an awesome player. But he grades out to be his comp to the NFL is a guy like Ed Oliver. And look, I love Fletcher Cox, but Fletcher Cox isn't going to be around for much longer, at least not in an elite level. Same thing with Brandon Graham. And so if you can get a guy who's kind of a tweener between that classic defensive tackle and a defensive end, that he can play that three technique, you know, kind of line up, head up on the guard, in between the guard and tackle. I think it could be a really nice pick. And the one thing the Eagles always do a really good job of is draft defensive linemen. You know, with the exception of Marcus Smith a few years ago, and that was a whole nother can of worms. And that was the Chip Kelly era, and he had undiagnosed depression, and it was a really unfortunate situation. The Eagles do a good job of drafting productive defensive lineman at spots outside of the top 10, you know, even a guy like Derek Barnett, who I like, I like Derek Barnett a lot. Has he been everything we thought he would be drafting him at 14? No, but he also was involved with the most important play and recovered the fumble, the most important play in the history of the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, but it goes, it goes a little further than that. Uh, Zach McPherson is a cornerback out of Texas tech. When you play in the big 12, you learn how to cover, you know, and if you can have success, as a Big 12 cornerback, you're going to be prepared to go out and play at the NFL level. Not my favorite pick. There wasn't a whole lot else there I would have rather them done, but they made up for it with their next pick after that, which was Kenneth Gainwell, who's a running back out of Memphis. Now, he is very similar to the running back out of Memphis last year, Antonio Gibson. Antonio Gibson played wide receiver for most of college, as did Kenneth Gainwell. The thing I love about Kenneth Gainwell is he's going to be able to catch the ball in the backfield. He's going to be awesome in a read option kind of, you know, no pun intended, but he's going to be great in a read option scheme with Jalen Hurts. Uh, and, and to pair him with Miles Sanders, you know, I love Miles Sanders. And Deuce Staley last year said he's going to be three down back. He's going to be three down back. Well, he wasn't. He just wasn't in that offense. 
And I think what we're going to see here, especially with Nick Sirianni, who is an offensive minded head coach. And more than that, he was a wide receivers coach in his come up. That was his specialty. Uh, you want a running back who's going to be able to catch the ball out of the backfield. And I'm really excited to see what he can do because they're going to be able to line him up as a wide receiver. They're going to be able to line him up in the slot. You can put him and Miles Sanders on the field at the same time. And if he turns out to be anything like Antonio Gibson, then he's also not going to be afraid to run in between the tackles, which is a lot of what Memphis does. These Memphis running backs, maybe they become the next running back you. Who knows? You know, but I, I, I like that pick a lot. And the last pick here that really sold this draft to me was LSU safety Jacoby Stevens, who was a sixth-round draft pick. I am really surprised that he fell as much as he did. He's a big safety. He's a kind of like the hybrid safety outside linebacker hybrid. You know, So if you're going to bring him in to be able to cover tight ends and also cover running backs out of the backfield and chase guys down – I think he, I mean, they still have Kevon Wallace there who has a lot of upside, both those guys out of Clemson. Jacoby Stevens plays, he was all over the field. When you watch LSU tape, he's all over the field. I don't know if it was character issues. I don't know what made him drop. I had him pegged somewhere in the fourth round, but for him to have been there in the late sixth round was, in my opinion, just an absolutely home run slam dunk pick. Love that. And, and I love the whole draft for the Philadelphia Eagles. And again, Devontae Smith, I mean, that that is the pick of the draft in my eyes. You know, I guess if just if Justin Fields works out, then yeah, you know, Justin Fields will probably end up being the pick of the draft. But for what the Eagles to do there, to still potentially have three first round picks next year after all that, uh, is is quite quite impressive. All right, teams I didn't like as much, and I won't spend as much time on these because look, these guys could all end up being really good. You know, there are guys who I may not necessarily have seen every single snap that they played and may have only caught a bad game, uh, you know, here and there. This is more based on what the teams needed and what they addressed. So first and foremost, the Pittsburgh Steelers, which I hate saying Pittsburgh here because I love Najee Harris. I re I really do. And, and I wish he went to a team that had an offensive line, but they did not address the offensive line until the third round. I got Kendrick green center out of Illinois uh, from everything I've read up on him. He's okay. You know, he's, it was a little bit of a reach to get him in the third round, but they needed a center. So they did address a need, but they could have gotten Creed Humphrey in the second round. And instead they drafted Pat Fryermuth, a tight end, a pass catching tight end, not even like a blocking tight end, like Hunter Long. Now Pat Fryermuth could be an awesome, an awesome receiving option. And they're going to have a ton of receivers. They're going to have a ton of weapons on the offense but they have an old quarterback who they didn't address in this year's draft, which, you know, they have Dwayne Haskins on the roster. So maybe somehow, you know, big Ben becomes a role model and a leader and can get the best out of Dwayne Haskins. But I wouldn't bet on that. I just wouldn't. And you don't have an offensive line. They lost Andre Villanueva today too. And after all of that, now they did draft Trey Norwood cornerback out of Oklahoma, who I like as a sneaky round pick. He got burnt. A lot early on in, in college, but that Oklahoma defense is really starting to turn and come on there. Uh, you know, they had Alex Grinch come in, which completely changed the the, the overall DNA of that whole Oklahoma defense. Uh, Trey Norwood really started to come on there at the end. And yeah, I just thought it was a, I just thought it was, you know, that's, that's the only pick I really have. Buddy Johnson, inside linebacker from Texas A&M, uh, you know, SEC inside linebacker, good athlete. 
You know, I just I felt and, and this is the worst one, guys. Seventh round, one of the last picks in the draft. They take a punter out of Georgia Tech, which punting is underrated, right? Like being able to flip the field and pin guys in within their own 10, like that is an incredibly valuable skill to have on your roster. I just, I don't know. I, I didn't particularly like it. Uh, the next team here and my dislikes or my least favorite, <laughs> uh, the New Orleans, the New Orleans Saints. Now you got to remember the re- the reasoning for why I have these guys and, and the Saints in this, in this level is because they are in such cap hell. So they really needed to hit on this draft. And if these picks hit, I will look stupid. And everyone who is super in, like loves the draft will look stupid. And once again, Sean Payton will end up looking really, really smart. But the first pick out of the gate was Peyton Turner. And I said this on Friday. I just didn't get it. It was the least valued pick in the first round based off of projection. So again, I understand that these guys could all end up having great careers. And I hope that they do. I would love to be wrong. Um, Pete Werner, second round draft pick out of Ohio State, linebacker, slow, more of a run stuffer. You know, they lost Quan Alexander last year in this offseason, so I, I get it, but didn't love that. Uh, and then Ian Book, again, you have Taysom Hill. You, you paid money for Taysom Hill. You have Jameis Winston. To, to take a flyer on Ian Book in the fourth round. I mean, I guess, look, they're looking for, you know, an heir apparent to Drew Brees. And it may not be Jameis, and it may not be Taysom. So then, hey, why not see what Ian Book can do? I liked Ian Book. I enjoyed watching him at Notre Dame. But he's small, he's undersized, and he doesn't have a big arm. He's a good athlete, but he's not an, like an elite-level athlete. He's just – he was a really solid – you know, college quarterback, and he's in that group of the the Jake Fromms, who, despite being really good college quarterbacks, they're probably never going to really be an NFL threat. You know, at the quarter, you know, at, at any position, but definitely at the quarterback position. So, didn't love that for the uh, New Orleans Saints. But again, hey, I could be very, very, very wrong, which would not be totally unrealistic <laughs> and and not out of character for me either. Now, the last team that I really really didn't like all that much. Uh, And again, this is going to seem like I'm biased and I understand Uh, the Dallas Cowboys. um, They had a lot of draft picks and I loved the Micah Parsons pick, but I thought it was weird that they were going after an inside linebacker when they have two already. Um, The other pick that I really loved by them based off of the player was also an inside linebacker, Jabril Cox out of LSU. So now they have, what, four inside linebackers? You're already paying Jalen Smith a shitload of money. And you have Leighton Vander Esch, who, again, doesn't stay on the field all that much. But one of those guys is going to come off the field in favor of Micah Parsons. So you're going to be paying Jalen Smith a lot of money to sit on the bench. I did like the Kelvin Joseph pick at cornerback. They needed help there. They didn't get one in the first round, so I thought that was a good pick. Um but even still, you just go down the road. I mean, they took another cornerback from Oregon State, Nashawn Wright. I just thought, again, like they addressed needs, but I didn't think outside of the Kelvin Joseph pick, you know, they, they simultaneously took the best player available and addressed needs, but not with the same pick. Like it was like almost like mismatching draft philosophies. And that might work out, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and then boom, Cowboys are, are rolling. All of a sudden that defense gets turned around. And look, Micah Parsons, again, I love Micah Parsons. He's one of my favorite players in the draft. But I didn't think it was an overall, like, really smart pick for them. I, I, or 
draft for them. I, I thought after Micah Parsons, I felt like it dropped, but you know, they, they won a lot of interior, you know, Josh Ball was out tackle from Marshall. I've actually, you know, uh, I, I have seen, I watched some tape on him. That Marshall team was really good last year, last couple of years. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't know. I'm not sold on it. I'm not. Um, but again, I love Jabril Cox, the player. I love Micah Parsons, the player. But that means that also two really talented players and Jalen Smith and Layden Vander Esch are not going to be playing unless you're going to have four linebackers on the field. And if you're playing a traditional 3-4 in the NFL, you're not stopping many people. You might be able to stop the run, but you're not going to, you know, Micah Parsons might be able to cover a tight end, but I don't think Jabril Cox can. Leighton Vanderish definitely can't. And Jalen Smith got burnt a lot in the passing game last year. So you're not necessarily going to be covering guys with these linebackers, and they're not all going to be able to be on the field together. So I just thought it was a bit of a weird kind of mismatch of a draft. But, again, the thing with this is when you when you say in a draft, like, oh, I don't like this guy's draft, or I didn't like this guy's draft, it's it's kind of tough because I'm not saying that I want these guys to fail. I'm just saying that I don't quite understand the philosophy behind drafting them. And again, these guys get paid a lot of money to do it. But one of the assumptions that we make is just because someone gets paid a lot of money doesn't mean that they have any idea what the hell they're doing. Uh, all right. So then some couple of teams that were sneaky and these will be real quick and we'll take a break and we'll, we'll hit our top 25 there from college. New England. Shocker. Um, I love New England's draft. Their first four picks I thought were fantastic. Mac Jones. I really like, I like his fit in New England, especially considering everything that the Patriots did in free agency in order to support, you know, in order to get some weapons in, get new talent in. The defense is already going to be really, really good. We, you know, we knew that just based off the guys that were coming back, but also, you know, going out and, and signing guys like Matthew Judon to come in, Kyle Van Noy's coming back. Um, but to add to that defense, they went and got Christian Barmore, in the early second round, which wasn't again, like I didn't think he was a first round player. I thought he was a second round player. He has pretty good upside. He's not Quinnen Williams, but he's got some Quinnen Williams ish things going on. And in that system playing for Bill Belichick, I think Christian Barmer can be good. And then they went Oklahoma right after that in the third round with a guy who I thought was going to be one of the top defensive linemen taken in the second round which is Ronnie Perkins, D-end out of Oklahoma. Uh, I think, again, I said this on Friday, the Oklahoma tag for defensive players can really hurt draft stock. And I thought this was a, a, a crime that he fell as low as he did. And, of course, Bill Belichick and New England get another steal there in the third round. Ramondre Stevenson, another Oklahoma player, but from running back. He was the lifeblood with both Spencer Rattler this year and Jalen Hurts the year before. Staying healthy is going to be his big thing. He needs to stay healthy. Uh, but all in all, I love that pick, especially with Damian Harris there in the background, in the backfield, who has shown glimpses of being a really good player at times. Uh, and even if they can get something out of Sony Michelle, I, I doubt it. But Ramondre Stevenson as a pass catcher, he, he projects to me to be the next uh, James White. You know, a guy who can do a little bit of everything, just that sneaky running back value that the Patriots always seem to be able to get. And then you look at their last couple picks there. I like Trey Nixon. He's a burner. Um, you know, they still don't have any elite level wide receiver prospects in the draft. And we'll see what happens with, you know, Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne. 
you know, maybe they can somehow salvage Nikhil Harry's career, but knowing how Bill Belichick drafts wide receivers, you might as well just wait into the seventh round. You know, he's not done a great job of drafting wide receivers. So might as well wait, you know, if drafting one high hasn't worked out over the last few years, I draft one late. Maybe it'll hit. Uh, but Trey Nixon's a burner. I'm excited to see what they can do there. And uh, Cameron McGrone is another one too, inside linebacker. Uh, the other two teams that I thought had a really sneaky, good draft, uh, Kansas City, the top two picks for them. I love Nick Bolton, undersized, but fast, speedy linebacker. When you watch his tape, he's all over the field, all over the field. Uh, and he's going to be a, a great fit in the middle of Spags' defense. He should be able to cover a little bit too, but he's primarily an interior linebacker, so we're probably not going to see him do all that much, but I, I really like that pick. He was a guy who I could have seen actually jumping up to the very top of the second round, and he slid all the way back to pick 58. So that's great value, and uh, I thought a steal linebacker out of Missouri, Nick Bolton. Creed Humphrey is the other one, the center out of Oklahoma, getting him pick 63 back back end of the second to last pick of the second round i thought creed humphrey there was an argument especially because of landon dickerson's health i thought creed humphrey might have been the best center in this class really athletic for his size and so what he's going to be able to do and in, in, in how he's going to be able to fit in kansas city i, I love it because he can play guard or center so if they want to kick him out to guard he can but they went on got kyle long they have you know they've made the trade for Trent Brown Jr. So you're going to have your left tackle, your right tackle. You're going to have Kyle Long playing left guard more than likely. And now you have, a, I think, a plug-and-play center in Creed Humphrey who should be really, really great. And the uh, also Cornell Powell, I like that too. Wide receiver out of Clemson as just a late-round flyer because, you know, they turn with, – with Pat Mahomes, you can turn late-round flyers into, like, really, really valuable players. Uh, and then the last one I'm going to throw on here too – I really liked what Cleveland did. Jeremiah Usukoromoa fell. It came out that he had a heart condition, and that is why he fell so much, uh, even to the late second round. But you add Greg Newsom, Jeremiah Usukoromoa, Anthony Schwartz. I thought those three are great. Tommy Togiai uh, was an awesome pick there at defensive tackle. Uh, so I, I really like – and uh, Demetric Felton too, wide receiver, running back out of UCLA. Cleveland got a bunch of really, really great players. Uh, but the last one I would throw in here is Arizona. Uh, and, and primarily, you know, Arizona, I've said it before, I loved, loved the Zayvon Collins pick. But then they go out and they get Rondale Moore, who, again, the, the injury concern with Rondale Moore is definitely there, and I, and I get the concern. But if he hits in the way that you can use him and you're going to pair him with Kyler Murray, imagine a backfield where you motion Chase Edmonds is, is to Kyler Murray's left, then you have Kyler Murray, and then you motion in Rondale Moore. I mean – None of neither of those guys are above six feet tall. So you're not even going to be able to see them in the backfield. You're going to be able to hide the ball. You can be able to, all three of them can run with it and make plays. Like that's going to be a really, really fun backfield. And uh, Rondo Moore also great slot receiver. You know, you can be able to put him out there with DeAndre Hopkins already. And AJ Green's coming in. I mean, the weapons that are going to be on that Arizona team, that's uh, going to be a lot of fun. All right. Uh, quick break. We're going to come back quick review of the spring football season and a quick top 25 look ahead here for the college football 2021 season let's go college football right around the corner and after last year's super bizarre college football season i am jazzed i'm freaking pumped to have a full-on full-blown college football season here in 2021 uh with a fascinating, absolutely 
fascinating look because the thing about this year and this college football season is that it is all over the place, okay? The usual suspects, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, right? Your, your, your big boys, quote-unquote, Georgia, you know, all of those teams don't really have a quarterback. Now, Georgia does a little bit in JT Daniels, but Trevor Lawrence is gone. Mac Jones is gone. You know, Justin Fields is gone. So your big three right off the bat, in my mind, are always Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State. And while we know who will likely be quarterback, at least at two of those schools, there is a lot of – not concern because the rosters are freaking loaded, but it leaves a lot up there because it's just a variable of unknown, right? You know, DJ Uyunglele, he can come in and be awesome, right? He was the backup at Clemson. And he was number one quarterback recruit, came in, sat behind Trevor Lawrence. We saw him play against Notre Dame. We saw him play, I think, the following week against, I want to say it was Boston College. Can't quite remember exactly who it was. Uh, but look, I am really, really excited for this college football season because your big boys don't necessarily have proven quarterbacks and your best quarterbacks are on these kind of like mid-level power five schools, you know, UNC. Sam Howell is going to be great. Iowa State coming off of a, a big year. They're bringing back pretty much everybody. But even like Texas A&M, they lose Kellen Mond. That could be a good thing for Kellen, for, for Texas A&M. Because, because that roster is going to be really, really good. And Kellen Mond, for all his upside and talent, is not the most consistent winning college football quarterback. So I'm going to go through just little bits and pieces here, run through kind of the top 25, at least the top 10, uh, and then I'll throw in some thoughts as we continue to go along. But right now, there's a new face up at the top, and that's Oklahoma. This is post-spring ball. So remember here, too, you can't garner all that much from spring football, right? Because if the offense looks amazing, then what does that say about your defense? And vice versa. If your defense looks amazing, but well, then your offense must be terrible. So it's really tough to gauge and put any sort of significant value to what you get out of spring football games. That being said, there are some things you can see, right? Like Bryce Young, who's going to be the next quarterback coming in at Alabama. I really like Bryce Young. I think Bryce Young might end up being the best quarterback in the SEC this year. He has all the talent. He was a number one top quarterback recruit. I believe it was the year. Uh, no, I think it was the same year as DJ Uyunglele. So between the two of them, one and two, again, top level guys like Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence. I think we're going to see a kind of similar dynamic between the two of them. Bryce Young, California kid, good athlete, big arm, great frame. He's going to fill into it a little more. He seems to have the job all but lined up and wrapped up there at Alabama, but Oklahoma's getting the number one seed here because of everyone that they're returning and they have the best returning quarterback, at least at the college level, in Spencer Rattler, in addition to also being one of the quote-unquote big boys, right? One of the, the big five schools that we see year in, year out, competing for the college football playoff. Um, the top five is still, though, the usual suspects. It's Oklahoma number one. It's Alabama number two. Georgia at number three, because again, Georgia has a really, really great team, and from what the glimpses of what we saw from JT Daniels after he transferred from USC – a couple of years ago, he was the number one high school recruit, five-star guy out of the California area, comes across country. You know, he 
has a chance to be really, really great. Not sure what his NFL upsides are. He looks like to me like a more talented version of Jake Fromm. Similar build, right? And that was this great performance we saw from him last year. Completed six, six, seven percent of his passes and threw for 1,200 yards, 10 touchdowns, two picks, but he only played in four games. So he's averaging well over 300 yards a game through the air. He's averaging at least, you know, two and a half touchdowns a game. And he only threw two picks over four games. That is very encouraging if you're a Georgia Bulldogs fan. Like Georgia a lot. Clemson is at number four, and then Ohio State at number five. Now, every team other than Ohio State has a clear successor from the quarterback that they lost. Right now, it is all up in the air, right? C.J. Stroud seems to be the favorite uh, at Ohio State this year to, to take over for Justin Fields, but we'll have to see how that ultimately turns out. But it, it, look, it's the big five guys for a reason. They're the big five. They're going to always get the best recruits. Their defenses are always going to be pretty nasty, especially Oklahoma is a super underrated defense. The Big 12 and the SEC are kind of switching a little bit. Not fully because SEC defenses still are better, but all that elite wide receiver talent is now going more to the SEC because the SEC has embraced being more of an air raid style of offense, right? We saw it with Tua and Alabama. You know, think about it. Nick Saban never had a first round quarterback until Tua. And if you include Jalen Hurts, he had a second round quarterback in Jalen Hurts and Tua in the same year. And you also saw, we also saw uh, Mac Jones go in the first round this year. So the, the times are changing. The Greg McElroy's, as much as I love my guy, Greg, you know, I, I, I worked with him this morning. Like I love Greg. Greg was not a great NFL player. He hung around for four or five years, collected his pension, boom, got out of there, jumped into the booth, and he does an excellent job as a commentator and a radio host. Uh, but after your, your big five schools is when it starts to get really fun, and this is why I think this year is going to feel really special because you have Iowa State at number six. Uh, they're returning everybody. Brees Hall is coming back. Uh, Brock Purdy, their quarterback, is coming back. Um, they won a lot of really, really great, great games last year. Xavier Hutchinson, wide receiver. Charlie Kolar is going to be a top probably two-round draft pick at tight end next year. Obviously, a lot can change between now and a year from now, but that's where he's projected to go right now. Uh, I really, really like that number six, Iowa State. I think they're going to be a really good team. They just can't have any losses like the loss to Louisiana last year. If they don't lose to Louisiana last year, they're in the college football playoff. But if they had beaten Louisiana, then they also probably wouldn't have finished nine and three, eight and one in the Big 12. I think they ended up being uh, nine and two before their bowl game, which I do believe they ended up losing. Um, number seven, Texas A&M should have a really good roster. And this is the year for Jimbo. All right. They're going into year number four with Jimbo Fisher. And historically, this is the year where it's like, all right, this is what we're doing. We're paying you $75 million, giving you the biggest contract in college football history. Let's make some shit happen. Not, not a lot of people know this. Texas A&M actually is the wealthiest school when it comes to like athletics. They have the most money to be able to give. And we saw it with, uh, they brought in Chris, no, not Chris Beard, uh, Buzz Williams, the, the basketball coach from Virginia Tech who made Virginia Tech into a top 15 team. They are not afraid to go out and spend a lot of money on guys that they want. Uh, North Carolina, Sam Howell. This is a really, really exciting team. I am super excited to see what ends up happening here with Sam Howell. And it's it's a bit of a quarterback conundrum because, again, these 
kind of mid-tier power five teams, you know, North Carolina, Iowa State, who have good, good teams, good rosters, are now being elevated by having a premier quarterback, which we just haven't seen a whole lot of. Uh, Cincinnati comes in at number nine. They're always going to be one of the best group of five teams year in and year out. It's cool seeing a group of five team hop up that high. I love Desmond Ritter, the quarterback, who's going to be coming back this year. I think he – I don't think of him as an NFL guy, but as a college quarterback, I think he's absolutely up there. Uh, and you can kind of rip through it. Number 10, last one, Oregon Ducks here. Kayvon Thibodeau is probably going to be the number one pick in the draft next year, unless like Sam Howell is just unfreaking believable and the team goes up for quarterback. Definitely a top five pick. That dude is the scariest offensive line or defensive lineman I've seen since Miles Garrett. And they're scary in different ways. You know, Miles Garrett's like puffy, but terrifyingly jacked. And Kayvon Thibodeau is just shredded beyond belief so really excited to see that the big question for them is going to be quarterback uh they lost tyler shug who decided to transfer to texas tech which was a little bit weird but mario cristobal he really likes to run the football you know he is not this isn't chip kelly air raid all right this is a very different scheme than what we've seen over the last few years. This isn't Mark Herzlick even after Chip left. This is a team that wants to be big and nasty up front, play really tough-nosed defense, run the ball down your throat, and in the Pac-12, I think it can be really, really successful. Uh, and then you have some other teams here, some ancillary teams. Indiana, you know, Tom Allen is, I think, why Indiana is this hot, because he is just such a beloved and appreciated coach at the NFL level, at the college level, amongst people who are around the sport day in and day out. People love Tom Allen. Um, Michael Penix, he did have the ACL injury, so we're not sure if he's going to be able to start at quarterback week one next year. If he does and he's healthy, I think Indiana can continue to be a really, really good team. Notre Dame's in this mix too. I, we just don't really know what to expect. You know, they lost a lot, a lot of talent. I wouldn't be surprised to see Notre Dame take a bit of a fall. And then we can kind of speed up. You know, USC's here in the top uh, 25. Iowa's at 14. Washington, uh, Louisiana, here's Louisiana Raging Cajuns. And that's the thing with that loss that Iowa State had last year. The Raging Cajuns are a good team. They went 10-1 and last year, you know, and they beat Iowa State. Now, they also only lost really three guys, Elijah Mitchell, Trey Regis, and Joe Dillon. So two running backs and Elijah and Trey, and then Joe Dillon, uh, a defensive player. They bring back most of their roster, 10 on the offense, 10 on the defense. That is a really big indicator to having further success. If your team is really, really good, especially as a group of five team, and then you're bringing back 10 of 11 on your offense and 10 of 11 on your defense, you're setting yourself up to have another really good year. Uh, the Gators lost a ton. This is a team I'm not super high on next year. Now, it'll be interesting to see what happens, especially at the quarterback position, right? Because now it's going to be we're handing the ball to Emory Jones who is much more of a athletic, scrambling, running quarterback than obviously Kyle Trask was, but they also lost Kyle Pitts. They also lost Kadarius Toney. They also lost Trayvon Grimes. So they lost all of their skill guys. They're only returning five from their offense and seven from their defense, but Dan Mullen is a really good coach. So I, I would expect to see them hovering around the top 25 for good chunks of the season because that's just who they are and they have a bunch of really good recruits. And now here's the stretch where 18, 19, and 20 are actually like, it's funny because the way it's shaped out, because these are three of my favorite sleeper teams here in 2021. Wisconsin, 
I love Wisconsin. Uh, you know, Graham Ertz was their quarterback who came in, won the game right off the bat. Then they had a bunch of really, really weird kind of COVID situations. They're bringing back eight on offense and eight on defense. They didn't lose too many key pieces. You know, a couple of offensive linemen here, there. Isaiah Loudermilk was one that was definitely tough defensive end. Uh, but all in all, this is a team that's set up to be successful here in 2021. I'm excited to see what the Badgers do under Paul Christ. Ole Miss, they might have the best offense. They, I think they had the number one offense in, in all of college football last year. But they had a 5-5 five and five record because their defense was just atrocious. But it was also really young. All right. They're returning 10 of 11 starters on defense. That is significant. They still have Matt Corral, who, again, might be the most underrated quarterback in all of college football this year. He's a guy who could very easily wind up as a first-round draft pick at quarterback next year, but they did lose Elijah Moore. But with Lane Kiffin, you know that they're going to throw the ball. You know that the offense is going to get moving. And that's honestly, that's kind of all you can ask when Lane Kiffin is your head coach. And then the last one here of my, like, sleepers, uh, well, I have one that's, like, my mega sleeper that I'm really excited about, LSU. At 20. Now, LSU recruits at such an elite level. The problem is, is they went from Joe Burrow to Miles Brennan, and then from Miles Brennan to have the bizarre abdomen tear injury that he did, that he played through for a few weeks and was still pretty successful. Uh, that really sucked because I think LSU would have been set up to be a really, you know, potentially top 12 team next year based off of roster alone. Uh, but again, the recruiting that they have, they've been in the top five in recruiting for the last three or four years. So this is a team that is bringing in elite level talent. Miles Brennan is going to compete for that job, but so is Brad Johnson's son. Remember Brad Johnson, old Tampa Bay Bucks quarterback, won the Super Bowl with John Gruden. His son, Max Johnson, is competing with Miles Brennan to see who's going to be the quarterback. I like both guys. They're honestly very similar. Not really sure how to differentiate the two. The big thing for LSU is can they get the defense under control? The the defensive decisions last year, you know, it, it, it was just – it was very, very dumb to bring in Bo Pelini. It just was. I, and, and, I, and I don't hate Bo Pelini. It was just – it was a bad decision by Coach O. Uh, they bring back nine on offense, nine on defense – but the, the sneaky thing that could actually uproot LSU season is some of the legal investigations going on there. And that's only going to become more and more serious as time goes on, as it should. Uh, covering up domestic violence is never something that's okay. Justifying domestic violence and hiding it from the university is never something that's okay. Reportedly, Coach Ogeron, who I love Coach O as much as anybody, uh, but a little bit less after hearing this, supposedly he told uh, both the victim and pe members of the school uh, of D Darius Geis, who was the former LSU running back, that they should forgive him and look past it because he was a troubled kid. That's a troubling statement, Ed. Like, that is that is pretty fucked. So keep your eyes kind of locked in on that. Obviously, as more and more goes along, guys have been fired for a lot less. And I know LSU just won the Super Bowl, and I know they're a fun story. I know we all love Joe Burrow. But if that if that comes out as true, Ed Ogeron's job might be in some hot water. And I've been saying this now for the last six months, since the first story in the USA Today came out back in November. So I hope it's wrong. I hope that report's wrong. I really do. But if it is true, get him out of there. Overhaul. 
especially with the less miles shit that just came out too. Like LSU has some freaking skeletons in that closet. And if all this is true and we saw what happened to Art Bryles at Baylor, get them the fuck out. Get as much information as you can and do right by the people who were so horrifically harmed by the people and players and, and the entire athletic department at LSU. So on the football field, they should be a good team. But off the field, we could see a lot of change going down in Baton Rouge. Um, and I'll end on more of a, a positive note. Uh, you could say Penn State in there too for Scotty and Vito. I actually do kind of like Penn State this year. Just got to figure out who their quarterback is going to be. But Arizona State, I love Arizona State. And quarterback Jaden Daniels, he is a dark horse for the Heisman. If Herm Edwards, again, this is year number three, going into year number three with Herm, if all this is is what he's got cooking and what we've seen so far is legit, they're going to be fun, man. This Arizona State team is going to be really, really fun. And the thing is, too, the a the Pac-12 South is going to be wide open. You know, they, they'll have to beat uh, Arizona – or they'll have to beat USC, who could be really good. Keaton Slove is coming back. But I, re I really sneakily love Arizona State. I just do. I think they're going to be really fun. And it's so easy to root for Herm Edwards. It's so easy. He's the best. He was the first coach I ever got to talk to at the Power 5 level, and the guy knew my name and and never forgot it for a second. I feel like I could call Herm today, and he would be like, oh, yeah, Jeff, how you doing, man? You know, I, I'm such a big fan of Herm Edwards. So uh, that's kind of a very quick, brief preview. There will be a lot, a lot of college football talk. Uh, when we start to preview the season, we're going to go conference by conference, and then we'll do a group of five one here. I'd love to have the guys on for that as well. But we're going to attack college football this summer it's going to be a whole bunch of college football we're going to get you guys locked and loaded for not just the college football season because that way you guys can be ready for the draft next year because the more college football you watch the more fun the draft is every single year and as someone who grew up not really watching a whole lot of college football that has never been more evident than the last three years getting a chance to work for SiriusXM there on ESPNU radio so uh, that is all I got today I want to thank you all for listening again uh, hit me up on Twitter, on social media, at Jeff underscore Gimple. Let me know what you think. Give me your thoughts, your concerns, whether I'm an idiot. Just tell me. I just want to know. Just want to know what y'all are thinking, all right? Uh, and as always, we really, really appreciate you guys listening. Hoping to have Scotty and or Vito back here uh, this week at some point. We might end up doing a Friday pod, but we'll let you know. And until then, keep it locked in. We got plenty of great stuff coming here on the Read Option. And as always, take it easy, y'all.